1: Well, as he said, uh, I did start school here uh, back in 2012. And the thing that I love about the program is that I can do it from home. And I come out here uh, for three or four days at the time. And uh, by the way that I'm dressed, you can probably tell that I wasn't familiar with the chapel attire. Um, And that's because when I'm up here, I'm trying my best to get all my work done before my classes start at two o'clock. You all know the struggle. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word right now, um, and we're grateful for it. God, we're thankful that some of the most impactful truth that we need is in some of the most familiar places, and we go by it time and time again, and we never really sit with just how important all of this is. And so I pray that you wouldn't let that be the case today, Father, but with such a familiar passage, I pray that it would hit a spot in our hearts where we're reminded of your goodness and just how good you are to us, how good you've been to us, and how good you'll continue to be to us, uh, regardless of what life looks like right now. So we just pray for strength. Um, God, we pray that your word would be clear um, and we pray that the Spirit of God would reveal the Son of God so that we would give all praise to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in the course of the past few years is that uh, life is hard for everybody. Nobody has an easy life and I feel like this really started to make sense for me four and a half years ago. Uh, four and a half years ago, I'm sitting at home and Uh, I get a call from one of my best friend's wife, um, and what she says is, hey, I need you to go talk to Moochie. She's like, I found out that last night his brother was murdered and I don't know how to tell him. So here I am, and this is the first, like, This is the first time I've had to deal with death just that, that close that my best friend lost his brother and I I didn't really know what to say and all these thoughts and feelings and emotions came up and to see the look on his face when I broke that news. The only thing that I thought and I felt was, I never want to feel this again, it's so hard. And I didn't feel it for a while. Life got better and time went on and I forgot and then 11 months ago yesterday, it hit me like a ton of bricks that the world that we live in is hard and it's a painful one to live in. I'm in Orlando, April 14th of last year and I get a phone call that my 32-year-old brother had died, went in his car was looking at his notes for what he was gonna preach the next week, went to sleep and he didn't wake back up. And all those feelings and emotions that I had came back and they rushed in like a ton of bricks and I, I, I just felt all of these feelings that I felt like God, I never wanna feel this again. And this was the point that I really knew that this world that we lived in was broken. And so the very first thing that I did It's what we all do when we feel this. We search for for peace, right? We, We don't explicitly say, I need peace, but we do our best to try to find something to take all of the pain away. And so what we'll do is we'll sit back and we'll try to ignore it. But one of the things that we find out is that it doesn't matter how forgetful you are, when pain comes, it gives you a photographic memory. And you remember all the things that are unimportant, what you were wearing, what things smelled like, how weak your knees felt, and you can try to forget it, but things come back that force you to remember. You can try to sleep it off. But then there's a such thing as dreams and nightmares. And regardless of how much sleep you get, you see your loved ones there. You want nothing more than to just hug them, even though you know it's a dream and you dread waking up and it's hard. Or you try to eat or drink or just get busy or just do something to forget But then what takes place is that landmarks come back up. Thursday's his birthday, and then next month is going to be the one year, and then the month after that his son turns six, and all of these things, and there's no way to get away from it when this pain comes, and you just find out that life is so hard. And the tricky thing about death, the rough thing about death is that it is inevitable. But for us, it's unimaginable. It's so ironic how we can see with crystal clarity the things in our future that may never take place. We picture our weddings, kids, the large church that one day we're gonna pastor, all of these things that may never take place, we see it with such clarity, but when it comes to the thing that is inevitable for all of us, it's unimaginable. So the question that I just wanna ask and answer today is when the inevitable becomes the reality that you face, How will you deal with it? Where will you go to find lasting peace? Is there any lasting peace in the midst of such heart-wrenching pain? And I think that there is. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 23. The thing that I love about this psalm right here is it's one of the most familiar psalms to all of us. This psalm is a serene psalm. It's this psalm of peace written by an old man that knows what it's like to deal with real pain. David writes this towards the end of his life and what you find out is that he's buried an infant son as well as a son that tried to start an insurrection. He's seen his best friend die. He's witnessed his daughter be raped. He's dealt with all this heartache and toil and real pain and he writes this psalm and the thing that I love about this psalm is that it's this psalm of peace but in this psalm, while all of us are trying to get busy and do all that we can to try to find some peace, there is not a single imperative in this psalm. There's no action that he's calling folks to do. It's all about God's character. This is a psalm of real peace, but this real peace doesn't come based off of our activity. It comes as a result of God's identity. And so it's a good thing for us just to sit back and to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read Psalms 23 and the first part of verse 4, and I want to start there. And And he says this, even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me." I think he aptly titles this place, the valley of the shadow of death, because what takes place is this, death comes in an instant. There is a point where somebody takes one breath and they're here, and they take and they don't take the next breath, and they're gone. And although death is is inevitable as birth, it's so unnatural to get to a place where you come to the realization that all that you have left of a loved one or a friend is memories. There will be no new experiences in this life. It's unnatural. And death takes place in an instant, but its shadow lingers on and on for a very long time. No one tells you of the depression that comes with it. The change in a marriage, the change in your ability to do the simple thing. David finds himself here and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why David? Because you're sure that God's gonna take you out of there soon? No. Why David? Because it's not as bad as folks said that it was? No. It's worse. Why David? Because this is gonna be the last time that you go there? No. He says, I'll fear no evil because God's with me. And what he gives us is this great truth that true peace is never found in the absence of pain, but true peace is always found in the presence of God. True peace is never found in the absence of pain, it's always found in the presence of God. The only thing in this life that's worse than real pain is false hope. It's like waiting outside in the cold for a bus that's never coming. And to hold God hostage to an outcome that he didn't promise is the quickest way to discontentment. God does not provide us a trouble-free life here in this world. He's guaranteed and promised that this will take place. And so what we don't do, the goal and our aim is not just for us to pray that God would take away all of the pain because that may not take place. We change and we don't pray for emptiness as if emptiness is the solution to our problems. We are dependent creatures. Every time that we get hungry, we are reminded emptiness is a problem and the only way to solve that problem is to be filled with something that cures us of the pain of being empty. So we don't pray that God would just take the pain away, we pray that God would fill us with a sense of his presence like Paul prays in Romans 15 that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. True peace is never found merely in the absence of pain, but in the presence of God. David says, I will fear no evil because I know that you're with me. And I just want you to know and see that this is God's plan. Throughout the whole Bible, God has a plan to remind us that peace comes when he's with us. Throughout the Bible, when somebody gives their name, they give their name, and often it's an indicator of their character, what they're like. And so the first time that God sits down with somebody and gives them their name, it's Moses in Exodus 3 verse 14 and it says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God starts off and what he says is my name is, I am who I am. Speaking to the fact that this God is real and this God is very present. And do you know the way that God reveals himself to Moses is through a bush that is on fire, and this bush that is on fire should be burning and it should be consumed, but it's not consumed because God's saying where he is, if he's present, trials and fire, they may come, they will come, but if God is with us, those things don't consume us. True peace is never just found in the absence of hard times, but in the presence of God. And him saying, I am who I am, what he's trying to get at is the fact that his nature is steady and it's constant and it's unchangeable. It comes from the verb to be, and the beautiful thing is about here is that the tense isn't important. So you could say, I am who I am. Or you could say that what God was trying to get at was He saying, I am right now who I have been. I have been who I will be. I will be who I am right now. Who God is doesn't change. And what we see is throughout the whole Bible, you see this God on a mission to be with His people in hard times, from Joseph who experienced this success because God was with him, to David in 1 Samuel, 18, God being with him, Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. The Gospel of Matthew bookended with this. 123 says this, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the very last part of the very last verse of this book, Christ says, behold, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You get to the end of the Bible and Revelations, chapter 21, verse 3. Three times here in this one verse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And what will this God do when he's with them? He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You and I are used to perfection, seeing things that are perfect. But what we're not used to is enduring perfection. Take a picture with a group of folks and you say, perfect, freeze. And it's good for a moment but then somebody sneezes and their eyes close, and they mess up the whole thing. We're used to food, right? There's just enough spice. Oh and it's good, perfect. But then somebody throws a little bit more cayenne pepper in it and they mess up the whole thing. You and I are used to perfection but not a perfection that lasts. And the beautiful thing about this God is he says, I am who I am. I have been who I will be. I will be who I am right now. He's dependable, he stays the same. The fact that he was with them and he provided them with what they needed to make it through these hard times, this same God has promised to be with us. And the beautiful thing is when you look at God revealing his name, and he links himself with guys like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you find out that God is not a God of people that are faultless. He is the God of people that are failures and frustrated. The stories of what Abraham and Isaac did to their wives to save their stuff. The stories of what Jacob did with his daughter responding apathetically to the rape of his daughter, all of those things are present so that nobody would ever say, God doesn't want to be with somebody like me. God only chooses people like me. God only chooses people like us. And this is the beauty that this great God sees us in our pain, in our frustration, and our heartache, and he condescends to be with us. And for the people that really know their God, they look and they say, that's it. That's what I've needed more than a change of circumstance, more than my brother back, more than provision. What I needed was just a sense, God, that you were with me. That's it. And people that don't know their God say, that's it, that's all that I get, but I really wanted more, I really wanted this, I really wanted that for those that know God and are confident in who he is. We're reminded that true peace is never found merely in the absence of pain, but it's always found in the presence of God. As we go back to Psalms 23 verse 4, one thing that I'm thankful for is that every word in the scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out And two of the most beautiful and powerful words that we see here are the words, walk through. And it reminds us that for those of us that are Christians, for those of us that are in Christ, the valley of the shadow of death. Death is not a destination for us. It's just a detour. I love how Deuce put it, death is not a period, it's just a comma. It's not our end goal. As sure as this God has let us in, he'll lead us through. We've been directed. And God doesn't make a mistake. Hear the words of Charles Spurgeon when he says this. It is a blessed thing when we are in a troubled condition to be confident that the Lord himself brought us there. For then we are sure that the road must be right since our shepherd never misleads his flock. If we follow Jesus where he leads, the guide is responsible for the road when uh, maps came out on the iPhone um, and I just started school here. I drove up here from Atlanta one night and so as I drive and I'm trying to get here, it takes me down these like back roads and it tells me to like turn left and as I turn left, there's this like body of water and as somebody that is an almost swimmer, Um, I'm confident that the map made a mistake because I don't swim. And I think if I keep on going left, I'll be forced to swim. And what you find out is that almost swimming is actually drowning. So this, (laughs) this, this has to be a mistake. What I want you to know is that in this life, we'll be in the car and God will direct us to go left and we'll come up to a body of water and we'll feel like this has to be a mistake. This has to be a mistake. You had to have gotten something wrong. And God will say, it's no mistake. I put you here so that you could trust me. I know that you can't swim, but this is not the final destination. It's just a detour. God leads us in, but the beautiful thing is that he leads us through, not because we've earned it, not because you and I have deserved better, but because he earned it. Death is a fair destination for all of us. It was a fair one for Adam, who had all the resources at his disposal, but failed to really live like God's son. It was a fair one for Israel, who though they were in a desert, God fed them day and night, and they had all the resources that they need, and they still didn't trust God. It's a fair one for us in that, and I'm not trying to talk through the times where you and I felt justified in the the things that we did, but in times where you and I felt ashamed because we knew we had every resource and advantage and yet we didn't turn to God with some of us in this room, it's last night or it's being here in this place where God's word is consistently preached and we find that we find some excuse not to trust him. Death is a fair destination for all of us. But Jesus, God's perfect son, who found himself in a desert by himself without eating for 40 days, he perfectly passed God's test. death shouldn't have been a final destination for him that because death wasn't a fair destination for him at all. But the beauty of what he did, Is he fulfilled God's command to love God with all of his heart and to love his neighbor as himself, you and me? And Jesus Christ took what should have been our destination so that as we read this verse, we're reminded that regardless of how hard life is right now, regardless of how thick the depression is, regardless of how much we despair in life right now, it's temporary. Though we're in one day we'll walk through." Death is just a detour. It's not the final destination for those of us that are in Christ. And let me tell you, it's beautiful when this plays out. When nine months old is a church plant, and in August of 2015, Elfreda Brown joined our church, 54 years old, had cancer since 2013. In October, she gets baptized and she stands in front of our church and she shares, this cancer, I feel like it wrecked my life. It's changed who I am but it was because of this sickness that I couldn't find somebody to heal that I was pointed to the fact that I was sick with a sickness that I couldn't fix myself and I needed Jesus to save me. And it was my cancer that showed me my need for for Christ. And she professed this to the whole church and we walked down to the right side and we took her and we baptized her. And we raised her up and we shared with the church one of the most horrifying things that can take place in this life is to lay your loved ones in the ground. And that's the first part of baptism. It's saying we've died. We should have died. But one of the most comforting things that can take place in this life is to be reminded that because of what Christ did, death, the valley of the shadow of death, is not our destination. It's just a detour that our loved ones are going to pop up and come back up. And she came back up, and the church rejoiced. And January 30th of this past year, her husband calls on Saturday morning and says, Elfreda died. She's gone to be with the Lord. And we sat as a church the next day, and we rejoiced. We mourned, but we rejoiced because we have a God that's big enough to deal with both emotions at the same time. And we were grateful that we got a chance to bury somebody that we baptized. And though we laid her in the ground. One day Jesus is going to come and pick her up. And we're reminded that our goal here in this life is to take this present comfort that we find in God's word and to make it our daily ambition to be reminded that true peace is not found in the absence of pain, but it's found in the presence of God. And so we seek daily to be reminded of the fact that we serve a God that has gone to great lengths to be with us. And so Psalms 116 is true when it says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints because it encourages us and it reminds us this life that we live in, it's hard and it's just a journey. And So what I want to challenge you to do is to make this present comfort your daily ambition. If you're here and you find yourself leading a church, Don't be so caught up in all of the things that make for good stories and tweets and publicity, but spend your time doing the important things that when a day like this comes, which it will and it'll come sooner than you think, that your church is reminded. We don't have to switch things up because the worst took place. But we know that the worst is going to take place so we always do the things that are most essential and that we need. Death is inevitable and it is unimaginable. But do you know what the good news is? For the Christian, heaven is unimaginable and it is inevitable for those of us that have put our faith in Christ. Randy Alcorn hasn't scratched the surface of what heaven looks like, no shade to Randy. We can't fathom all the good that God has planned and in store for us. And so I pray that we would start now to embrace what it really means to be with him. Let's pray. Father God, again, we're grateful that such vital truth is in such a familiar place. Let us never confuse a comprehension with our, or an awareness. I pray that just because we hear these truths, I pray that we wouldn't feel like we get them. Help us to be the people that daily seek to know what it feels like for you to be with us so that when the worst comes, Father, we feel your presence in a very, very real way. It's in Jesus' name we pray.